Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Michael Leyland. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. And welcome back to the show. It's like we never go away. It's not. Isn't it? It's the, the production of this show is a maw that just eats and gobbles, yum, nom, 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 all of your ideas up. Like the doomsday machine or the shark from Jaws. Does that eat ideas? Yes. Oh, okay. It eats the life soul so of everyone Jaws involved is just with one the big metaphor. Yes, for the the, 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 the shark strain. represents society. Yeah, uh, no, the shark represents the production of right. film or television or podcasts. Just knowing its way through the creative process, it's relentless. Yeah, okay. And you know everything we come up. I did think today we should do Old Man Logan, and then I thought, have we done that? Or did Michael just say we should do that? <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm getting to the point now where I really have no idea what we've covered I anymore. I don't remember, yeah. <laughs> do you not remember? I think we've mentioned this before. When I came down to you and said, we should do Hulk Grey and finish off the Lobe Sale trilogy. And you just sat there and went, Dad, we've already done it. <laughs> I thought, oh, such a good idea. <laughs> you know, yeah, it was when we did it. <laughs> oh, welcome to the show. Do we have anything to talk about this week? No. We will leap straight into the email section of the phone. What? The show? Yes. The phone? The phone. Oh, I don't know what it is. Crack you, it are you up. tired today? I am exceptionally tired today, yes. Been off steady. Sucks. Spider-Man and his strange spirals is the title of the first email. It is from Chris Franklin. Oh, Mandy, you came and you gave without waiting, but I sent you away, oh, Mandy. I was hoping that wouldn't become a thing, quite frankly. Yeah. But apparently it did. Man, says Chris, I hope you guys got Barry Manilow, or that joke is going to fall flat on its face. Barry Manilow. Barry Manilow. Do you not remember Angel? Angel... The TV no. show, it's Angel, that was a spin-off from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. When he w- went through his re-ensold fairs, he went, go- he went to Barry Manilow concerts, because okay. he got really into Barry Manilow. So when he became Angelus... The concerts were the worst. The concerts were the worst, there you go. <laughs> that was a funny bit. And uh, when they went and did karaoke in Caritas Bar, when they met Lorne, yeah. that's what he sang, he sang Mandy. Oh, okay. Uh, rocking the Manilow, so... So we may not have got Barry Manilow, but we did get Angel, and through Angel I learned to appreciate the Manilow. Did did we not get Barry Manilow? We probably did get Barry Manilow. Because in the young ones, they call him Barry Manilow. There they do. I think he has a wisp. Yes. A wisp. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'd forgotten that, but you are correct, in the young ones, Barry Manilow. Yes. So Cliff. (laughs) Anyway, uh, where were we? Chris's email. Yeah, oh Cliff. (laughs) 
this was an odd one, says Chris. Well, the email artist. I was singing man. Just us. Yeah. This podcast was an odd one. <laughs> Especially the hosts. <laughs> This was an odd one, but a good one. I remember seeing the ads for the Marvel team-up Spidey Captain Britain issues, but never read it. I also had some of those classic Clermont Burn MTU issues, being some of the earliest Marvels I'd bought from me. Later, I got a tour paperback reprinting the Man-Thing, Havoc and Thought issues in black and white pocket novel form. I've got that. I have It's there. Oh, yeah. On the bookshelf there. I'm pointing right at the, the one at the top. Uh, incredibly underrated stuff, especially from those two. I really need to look into Roger Stern's Doctor Strange run. Without by Smith, Mike Golden, and one of my personal heroes, Marshall Rogers, I know it can't miss. Heck, if Roger Stern wrote a story drawn by Vinnie Coletta's Eraser, I'd, it'd be worth looking into. <laughs> Vinnie Coletta used to rub bits out. You know all this stuff. Yeah. I once again have to applaud Michael on not only his comic selection, but his synopsis and reading. This was a damned eerie story. You'll get this old fuddy-duddy superheroes-only comic reader to try something new yet. Enjoying your random good stuff run. Keep it up, Chris. Well, there you go. He liked... um, What was the spiral one called? Uh, Uzumaki. Uzumaki. Mm. That was it. I knew... It was tip of my tongue. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Any minute now, it was going (laughs) to spill right over. Um, Thanks, Chris. Always nice to hear from Chris. Um, Michael Staley's emailed in. Uh, the episode title is just episode 419 feedback. Was it episode 419? Episode, season 4, episode 19. Volume 4. Volume We don't do seasons. We used to. We used to, but we changed. To volumes. Yes, we changed to volumes. Because volumes are, are far more sophisticated, I think. I love it. Yes, yes. A, a collection of books on a shelf in the Oxford Library are volumes. And you do have volumes of comics if they start Indeed again. Indeed you do. Seasons have no place in polite society. It's all about the volumes. Michael Staley emailed in. I've already said that, but it's worth mentioning again. And so <laughs> people like hearing the name, don't they? Just finished listening to your latest episode and thought I'd give some thoughts. I'm not overly familiar with Captain Britain. I knew he was Psylocke's brother and I knew he was leader of Excalibur, but most of my knowledge came from the Lego Marvel Superheroes video game. That's fair enough. Mm-hmm. That's a good place to get your knowledge from. Of course, that mostly consists of helping him find his lost cars. <laughs> Is that true? I don't know. <laughs> You've got to find Captain Brin's lost car. What does he need a car for? I mean, he has to get to Stonehenge, obviously. Obviously. Because uh, that's where his origin was. But you know. it is in New York. Which, which side of the, the car do you think he drives in? That would be confusing to him. It would. Wouldn't it? Uh, as a huge fan of Japanese culture, Michael continues, I loved hearing your take on Uzumaki, though you guys did mispronounce Kiri's name. It, Kairi. Is it Kairi? It, that's the other alternative I can think of. Okay. Uh, not that it's a big deal, but I thought I'd let you know. And yes, there was a movie release, but to be honest, it's not very good. Keep up the good work. Can't wait to hear the next episode. Mike Staley, host of the Invincible Iron Cast Classics Edition. Cheap plug. There are no cheap plugs. No. There are only quality plugs. Plus, most plugs are free. They're, they're free on this show. We don't charge for plugs. We don't. Derek Crabb emailed in. Hello, Andrew and Michael. Thanks for all the fun talk on good comics. My first exposure to Captain Britain was in the page of Excalibur 1. By that point, I had mostly graduated from the newsstand distribution of 7-Elevens and thrifty spinner racks to some genuine direct-to-market comic book shops. So it wasn't too hard to wonder about who this Brian Braddock guy was and where he came from, because Marvel Team-Up 66 was one of my earliest back-issue purchases. 
As to Arcade's recent appearances, I'm not sure if anyone's brought this to your attention yet, but he was the main villain inside the pages of Avengers Arena, which was covered on episode 112 of the Fan Holes podcast, in case anyone listening is interested in our take on the Maxi series. The Battle Royale knockoff, or homage, depending on your point of view, with Teen Marvel heroes. As to Doctor Strange, I do recall my more naive attitude about the character when I was young and sometimes stupid. I have to admit that in my misspent youth, the only time I picked up a Doctor Strange boot was when Ghost Rider had a spot. I'm way more fond of the character than you guys are, or when they slapped Infinity War Crusade in the top right-hand corner. I don't think we're not fond of Ghost Rider. Yeah. I just don't think we were fond of that issue of Ghost Rider. Yeah, he's, he's alright for edgy incarnate. Yeah, whereas that issue was was just a little bit bad, wasn't it? <laughs> it was a little bit naff. The synopsis was so funny. Thank you very much. It's my proudest hour. <laughs> yeah. It's the finest hour I've ever known. In many ways. By the time I was of college age, however, Derek continues, the masterworks you mentioned were trapped down as I was on a big Steve Ditko kick. Engelhart Strange in Marvel Premiere is quite fun, and probably because of Jackson Butch Geiss's regular pencils on Triangle Action Comics, I was drawn to the early issues from the 1988 volume. For more of my thoughts on Doctor Strange, check out the History of Comics on Film, episode 55, which is hocof.blogspot.com, History of Comics on Film. I've watched a couple of them. Okay. I like them. I think Derek does a good job with them. Derek continues, I've never read Uzumaki before, even though I'd say I'm more of a mere dabbler in reading manga. I've never gotten used to the right-to-left reading or only having three pages of colour. So, yeah, see, if you grow up reading British comics, <laughs> three pages of colour or sometimes only three pages of a colour. Oh, like some of, them would, brilliant, yeah? some of them would have red, <laughs> yeah. sometimes it'd have blue, and then it goes black and white. Yeah, quality stuff. I love the rare instances manga receives the full-on colour treatment like the epic Akira books or the Fist of the North Star Master Edition from Gutsoon. Thanks for the enjoyable and entertaining listen. Take uh, Derek, who hosts History of Comics on Film, which I've just mentioned at hocof.blogspot.com, and the Fan Holes Podcast at fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. Thank you very much, Derek. Both of those are well worth checking out. Now this one, last email for tonight, is a very, very good one. This came from Michael Ridge, uh, Newsboy Protection Racket. Greetings, Andrew and Michael. I enjoyed your pair of episodes celebrating 75 years of Dick Grayson. I think DC should give him a hardcover retrospective as they have Superman, Lois, Batman, and the Joker. He certainly deserves respect as the most successful hero support character in comics. Uh, Interrupting for a second, I think they have. Haven't they done one of those 75th anniversary editions for Robin? I know know The Flash and Captain Marvel, or Shazam, are just about to come out, and I'm pretty sure I read that they were doing a Robin one. I haven't seen it anywhere, Mm. but the only ones I've seen in the shops are Batman and the Joker. I don't think I've ever seen the Superman or the Lois ones. Michael continues, I do have a problem with the comment on the 1940 origin story, that Dick's undercover assignment as a newsboy was part of the silly in the story. The problems of street kids in big cities are not new. Solo homeless children, abandoned runaways and orphans, as well as homeless families with children are a symptom of a sick economy. At the end of ten years of depression, there were undoubtedly thousands of children trying to survive on the streets of Gotham. New York City, for example, exported about a quarter of a million children to foster homes outside the city in the 50 years leading up to 1930. There was no place in the city for three to 4,000 each year. 
Newspaper Hawker was one of the few income sources for underage boys that was still unregulated in 1940. Vendors were considered independent contractors, not employees, and no records of age or address were kept by the publisher. It was such an important part of newspaper distribution that publishers successfully got it exempted from the Fur Labour Standards Act, federal wage and hour laws. The publishers allotted papers on the basis of past success, so it was important that these hawkers keep control of good selling locations and kept any subscription clients happy, a situation that is ripe for selling protection. Dick probably couldn't have come in as a new independent because none of the others would have a reason to confide in him. He probably came in by making a friend on the street and joining an ongoing operation. I've seen him do similar undercover work in solo stories in the 50s and 60s. This story just condenses his work into the final act of knowing where to be to overhear the final link in the chain. At the beginning of World War II, a 12-year-old left his 6th grade class to enlist in the US Navy. This decorated vet was the youngest I found for US forces. A Marine enlisted at 13, but he won the Medal of Honor before he was due to graduate from high school. He was one badass boy. Canadian forces identified six kids who enlisted at ages between 10 and 13, only when they retired a quarter of a century later. The youngest identified British casualty of war enlisted at 14 and died before his 17th birthday. Batman enlisting Dick as a young boy doesn't look completely crazy. Not completely, but still crazy. Thanks for your effort in producing the podcast. Couple of things that I did email Michael back, so I actually thought that was quite interesting. Yeah. And I think it was more of a point, we were looking at it more from a modern point of view, weren't we? Really, than allowing for the fact that 1940, all of what Michael said there is perfectly acceptable. Yeah. So the fact that Dick was suddenly selling stuff and Robin was 13 or 14 when he was hanging around with Batman was perfectly normal in 1940. Yeah. And it's only as we look at it through the prism of the 21st century, it now seems a little bit strange. Well, what I found more funny about it wasn't that he was actually doing it, it was more the jump in time in between panels mm. and now Dick is working for a newspaper yeah but like Michael says in his email they condense that story to just show us the good yeah. bit I mean how boring would 20 pages of Dick ingratiating himself into that network have been this is a Bendis comic if it's handled well <laughs> A six-part miniseries of Dick Grayson infiltrating the newsboys. The newspaper years. Yeah. Well, okay, that's where the newsboy legion presumably come from as well, then, isn't yeah. it? Right, yeah. So I'm I thought... impressed. Yes. I thought that, uh, that email was fascinating, so thank you very much for that, Michael. And we stand corrected. Never let it be said we're not willing to acknowledge our mistakes. No, we're not. We are not willing to acknowledge <laughs> our mistakes, that is very true. But in this particular case, I thought that was quite a fascinating email. So thank you very much. Uh, we will be right back after a commercial message for somebody's show. Okay, I'm going to do the promo now. Really? Finally. Okay, let's do the promo. What do you mean, let's do the promo? I'm the one who has to do it. Well, can I with it then? Okay, okay, here we go. <clears throat> Iron Man, the Incredible Hulk, the Mighty Thor, the Captain America. Wow, being dramatic there, aren't we? Do, do you think it's too much? Should I back off? No, 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 you're fine. You, you're good. Okay. You've seen the Earth's mightiest heroes in the Avengers franchise of films. Now you can enjoy the stories that have inspired those films through the magic of comic podcasting magic of podcasting? You sure about that one? Well, yeah, because, you know, we're awesome. Like, magic. Only without actually seeing any magical things. Just go with it, go with it, go with it. Okay. Don't forget to tell them what we're actually doing on the show. Oh, oh yeah, okay. 
So join Lily Wilson, the awesomest teenage comics fan in the world, Mm -hmm. as her father takes her through all the early comics that feature characters from the Avengers franchise of films. And some that aren't in those films yet, but will be. Because we started with the Ant-Man before we had a whole film. Oh, well, yeah. And don't forget Spider-Man. He's not looking at Avenger, but he's there. Oh, okay. So um, maybe it should be that feature characters that have been, are currently, or will one day be in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Better. And where should they go not see this magical podcasty goodness? New episodes can be found... Fa- <coughs> do I have to do the voice? Yes, you do. Okay, okay. New episodes can be found at the Complete Marvel Reading Order website, cmro.travis-starns.com, and clicking under the Podcasts tab. Or on iTunes by searching Complete Marvel Reading Order, or just search for the name of the show itself. Um, Dad? Don't you think we should actually say the name of our show? Oh. Yeah! Avengers! Inspirations! Podcast! Listen and stuff. Yeah, good job, Dad. Thank you. I never liked teams. In reality and in my fiction, I tended to prefer solo heroes, with a few exceptions. I liked the Magnificent Seven, but they weren't really a team, rather a group of men gathered together for a common cause. I liked the A-Team because they were funny. In regards to comics team, I only really liked the Fantastic Four and the Teen Titans. Never got into the Legion, could take or leave the JLA, and only sporadically followed the Avengers. It wasn't the characters. I read Iron Man and Thor stories as backups in various Marvel UK comics. I read Captain America's own title regularly. I greatly enjoyed the adventures of Superman and Batman in their own respective comics, and even when they met other characters in DC Comics Presents are the brave and the bold. But when they were part of a team, forget about it. Did you like teams? Uh, I, guess, I guess it depends on the characters and that. Hmm. Like, I, I like the JLA as a team. Um, I mean, I like them all as individual characters, mm-hmm. but I like the Justice League as a team. Right. But say, uh, characters like Animal Man, I really like him because it's all about his, him. Mm. His series is all about him. But then when he moved to the Justice League United and he was part of a team, I just... Didn't. Lost interest. Yeah. I didn't really care about anyone because it was them focusing on them as a team. Now, I know the interesting characters, but mm. it's not focusing on them as an interesting character, just a team member. Right. Okay, well, part of mine was Black Spider-Man. I tended not to play well with others. Yeah. I know that that will come as a shock to you, won't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> At school, I liked swimming and squash games that didn't require me to work with someone. In comics, I liked these street-level guys like Daredevil, Spider-Man and Batman, or the Lonely Man themes of the Hulk. I also responded more to the background details, the day-to-day lives of the characters. I liked seeing the private life of Clark Kent, if Peter Parker was going to get that date with Sissy Ironwood, or how Matt Murdock was going to get out of explaining his secret to Foggy Nelson this time. With rare exceptions, the aforementioned Fantastic Four and the Titans, this didn't happen in team books, or that was how it seemed to me at the time. The team titles were just action, and I needed a dollop of character to go with the action, or I got bored. I later discovered that the FF and the team titans were exceptions, because for the most part, the characters in those books didn't have other titles for the writers to juggle, so they could do character drama and action. Nothing major was going to happen to the Hulk in the pages of The Defenders, not when he had his own comic with pages to fill. As I got a little older and started to pay attention to writer and artist credits, though, I started to notice that some of my favourites had or were working on team books. Roger Stern was writing The Avengers and John Byrne had just kicked off Alpha Flight, so I started looking at them and found more to enjoy than I'd previously thought. 
As I scoured the back issue bins at Comic Marts, I focused on picking up issues of The Avengers by Byrne and Perez, JLA issues with Perez art, and discovered that there were some pretty good comics. The JLA, under the awesome artistry of Perez, met Darkseid for a classic confrontation. Whilst in The Avengers, the team lineup changed again and again. The Beast was given more personality than he ever had in The X-Men, another team book that previously did nothing for me. Crusher Creel, the Absorbing Man, was an excellent villain, more than capable of holding his own against a team as mighty as The Avengers were. Hawkeye, as with The Beast, was given centre stage and blossomed. George Perez may be the only guy to have drawn the 200th issue of both Marvel and DC's flagship team books, Penciling Avengers and JLA issue 200. Maybe there was something to these team books after all. So where did you get in the Avengers? Or did you never read the Avengers? I never really got into the Avengers. Did you not? The most Avengers I've ever read is Bendis's. Yeah, see, so you've read all of Bendis's stuff, haven't you? Yeah. I've read, like, bits and pieces of their older stuff. Yeah. Uh, and all of Busiek and Perez's run. Hmm. From Heroes Return, wasn't it? Yeah. When they came back. The thing with Bendis's Avengers was, despite all the flack and the... jokes it has surrounding it, yeah. what it really did was, when he was good at it, he was really good portraying them as a family and did them giving each character their own spotlight. Mm. And it was just really good as well to see him carry on his um, Jessica Jones and Luke Cage storyline through it as well. So did they move into the Avengers? Yeah. Because they went from Alias to the Pulse. the Pulse, yeah. To Jessica Jones dropped off the radar a bit and it was Luke Cage. Did she Avengers. drop off the radar because she had a baby? Yeah. Right. Uh, but it was good as well because he'd had multiple titles ongoing at the same time. So he was focusing on... Multiple Avengers titles. Yeah. So he was focusing on two teams, Mm. but in a larger story and focusing on individual characters rather than the teams themselves. Right. One of the only benefits to have to the same writer writing the same story in two titles. Right. So you keep saying, despite your your Bendis, and I don't dislike Bendis. Mm. I just find an awful lot of his work to be quite a chore to get through. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, I've just read an issue. I've only walked upstairs. I've not even got in the toilet yet. It's not exactly a chore. You've read it before it starts. Yeah, you've read it before it starts doing all of it. But you, you actually quite like his Avengers run, don't you? Yeah. All right. Okay, maybe one day when we don't have a show to do. <laughs> From one of the best and most underrated runs on the Avengers come these just good comics. Again, these have had a long time gestating in the book. Originally considered for an Avengers show to coincide with the movie. We never got around to that, did we? No. Uh, although, purely by coincidence, there's a new Avengers movie coming out in but a couple of weeks mm-hmm. as we record this, because we get it first. <laughs> so, uh, there you go. Purely inadvertently. Yeah, you've tied it up. We've then. tied it all in up. Quite amazing, that. Um, these were also on the list for the George Perez creator spotlight on. Again, we didn't do it. Mm. We could keep saying we should do another spoiler yeah. to create a spotlight on, don't we? We never got around to it. As well as being complimented by the penciling genius of Perez, who was at this point going through a remarkable metamorphosis as an artist, a creative growth that would see him through the new team Titans, writer David Michelini was also undergoing a creative spurt that would see him produce nothing but great comics in the 1980s. His Iron Man run with Bob Layton is justifiably lauded, but Michelini wrote some great stories for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, both criminally overlooked, as well as being one of the few writers who wrote good issues of Web of Spider-Man, a series with very few standouts. 
Starting with the Avengers issue 194 interlude, Michelini and Perez were joined by Joe Rubenstein for cover and interior inks. Joe Rubenstein's a good, solid inker. His work's always recognisable over certain pencillers, but he never overwhelmed the pencillers. And he compliments Perez here, making him recognisably Perez. The cover has the Vision fighting some Dr. Octopus-like tentacles and blowing them up with his forehead superbeam. Only in comics. <laughs> he drags one arm out of the way with the other and another just goes right through him. Bizarre discs are also hurtling at him as Joe Caster, who is an android, I think, yes. something like that, uh, watches from below. These machines attack me, pass through me, but I feel no pain, no emotion, he exclaims, <laughs> because I am not human. That's how he would talk, isn't it? Is it? That wouldn't be dramatic. He's not human, dude. I mean, he may be a bit data-esque. So, so he talks as though he's Bill Shatner. <laughs> Bill Shatner, Android Division. These machines. No, there's too much emotion there, dude. He can't be Bill Shatner. These machines attack me. me. Pass through me, but I feel no pain, <laughs> no emotion, because I am not human. It is a bit Shatner, That's isn't Star it? Man. <laughs> Rocket Man. <laughs> I see a little silhouette. Of a man, Scaramouche, Scaramouche, can you do the Fandango? Not human. Have you heard William Shatner's version of Bohemian Rhapsody? No. Oh, it's genius. <laughs> there are no words to describe its utter magnificence. I, I, I don't want it to ruin the original because I can't go back to listening to Pope's Common you, People. You often, well, Shatner's version of Common People is brilliant. Yeah. She studied sculpture at, at St. Martin's, Martin's College. College. That's right. Got her eye. Right. It is brilliant. You know, I was doing some artist research yesterday and found two artists yeah. who met each other studying sculpture at St. Martin's College. What are the odds? What are the odds? That's absolutely astonishing. Ever wonder what the Avengers do on the day off? Runs the cover copy of this comic that ostensibly we're supposed to be talking about. See for yourself in Interlude. It's a fun action-packed, if not quite as detailed as usual for Perez composition. Does the job. The corner box is mostly made up of burn heads, isn't it? In fact, that's all burn heads, isn't it? Uh, looks like. It looks like they're all burn heads. What do you think of that cover? I quite like it. It's alright, isn't it? I like the little box at the bottom, though. The text box. Have you ever wondered what the Avengers do on their day off? This! Oh, well, he's, he's licks himself. <laughs> Tony is a... Just sits there cleaning yeah. himself. Tony wonders what car to buy. Because, <laughs> you know, he's a busy guy. Uh, interlude, yeah, David McLean, George Perez, Joe Rubenstein, and uh, John Costanza lettered it. And we don't normally do that stuff anymore, do we? But no. Anyway, Jim Salakrup edited it. Jim Shooter was the big boss. <laughs> As the Avengers welcome Wonder Man back to their ranks. And does you, do you think that really rankles DC? That Wonder Marvel Man. got the character called Wonder Man? Yeah. Don't, do you think DC ever go, I wish we'd called a character Spider-Woman? <laughs> Anyway, uh, the oh, Falcon Captain Marvel. Oh, Captain Marvel, yeah. The Falcon chooses to quit. A sad day for sure, but one devoid of other problems. So the Avengers kick back and relax. Cap ponders what makes the Avengers different. The Vision desperately tries to prove he's not human by protesting too much, and Iron Man wonders if he should buy a new car. So you thought I was kidding. Amidst this scene of blissful domesticity, a man, Selby, arrives at the mansion from the Solomon Institute for the Criminally Insane, claiming people are trying to kill him. Whilst the Avengers debates the situation, a limo rolls up with people from said institute claiming to be looking for Selby. All the paperwork is in order, so the Avengers have no choice but to turn Selby 
over to them, despite his obvious agitation. Outside the mansion, Selby is greeted by Dr. Solomon, which does nothing to relieve his stress. Adding to Captain America's stress is the news that the Wasp has gone missing. Cap asks Jarvis to fire up the Quinjet. They have to visit Dr. Solomon. Which makes it seem like not a lot happens in this issue. Yeah. But not a lot happens in this issue. Not really. <laughs> they just all talk. They just, it is, it's, um, yeah, it's, that is pretty much it. Uh, the opening splash is a shot from inside the retina scanner looking into Wonder Man's eyes. Which is actually really quite spooky. Yeah. And um, it's a very nice, spooky, evocative opening to the issue. Makes it seem scurrier than it's actually going to be. Mm. And it seems like Perez has got a little bit of Kirby tech going on there. Only a little bit. Yeah. Enough so that it looks like Kirby tech, but not enough that it is. Yeah, that it's a, a blatant rip-off. Uh, I love page one, panel one in which the Avengers all were in the costumes are just lounging around. Yeah. I always like scenes like that where the heroes let the her down a little bit. Especially like the beast hanging from the lights above. He's like Spider-Man, isn't he? He never sits when he can crouch. Yeah, yeah. Never stands up when he can hang off a roof or something <laughs> like that. Uh, likewise, page three. I like that the Wasp is all gung-ho to hear about Wonder Man's TV career. Almost a little bit over-eager, mm-hmm. I thought. Uh, and Cap, noticing that something's wrong with the vision, just calls time on the discussion. Eh, we'll talk about that later. Which is a nice little subtle piece of writing, because the Wasp is eager to open up and share and talk about their feelings. Yeah. And Cap's more closed off, which is a very male-female dynamic. But also Cap's ability to take in what's going on in any given situation, even a calm one like this, and spot what's going on and be aware of everything that's going on around him. But it also leaves Wonder Man's story as to what his TV gig is Yeah. for later on in the issue, where it can be a fun little comedy beat mm-hmm. when we learn that he gets pies putting his face on a kid's TV show. Yeah. Which was funny. It was. I, I thought that was funny. Uh, the Falcon quits because he was part of a government-mandated quota, which I thought was quite funny. Uh, and that's also nice, nicely handled because Captain America's very diplomatic when uh, the Falcon notes he seems to have brought some tension with him and Cap just says uh, I hadn't really, hadn't really <laughs> noticed but uh, yeah, if, uh, if you want to go had he brought tension then I don't know because I don't remember the issues before this very well I have got them and I have read them but it's many many years ago I just remembered this run being quite good he does let him go without arguing though yeah. so that kind of implies that maybe he's not wrong and that there was a little bit of tension uh, they go outside and wave him off, which is a nice touch. Uh, it's freezing outside and snowy everywhere. So it could be any time this, couldn't it? Mm-hmm. As it currently stands. Uh, the wasp complains that she's cold and Perez draws great snow. But it's the beast offering the wasp his fur coat. Yeah, but he can't <laughs> find the zip. That was funny. It was. That was a funny bit. Uh, the wasp always wore in practical costumes. Uh, especially later on. Yeah, but we'll get into that later. <laughs> Cap sat outside in the snow, so he's obviously not cold. Yeah. But he's a super soldier. He's, so. he's used to the cold. Yeah, the cold doesn't affect him. Uh, he sat outside polishing his shield, which is lovely. And he has a nice conversation with Ms. Marvel, where she seems to be flirting with him. Yeah. But, you know, why not? He's Captain America. <laughs> you would, wouldn't you? And if I was Captain America, I'd be taking Ms. Marvel out tonight for a nice meal and some Bing Crosby records. That's what he listens to, isn't it? Yeah, the yeah. Would well, you go in your uniform and try and get a discount? <laughs> Captain America pays anywhere he goes, do you think? 
Do you think everyone lets him have it for free? He, he just signs it. He signs the... Uh... Do you think he's like Superman? Yeah. Everywhere he goes, he gets free milkshakes. Does he? Yeah, like in Superman Hulk. He didn't pay for that milkshake. No, of course. At least I don't think he did. Uh, I do like, though, that on the next page, they're having a conversation about what makes the Avengers different from other teams. But the action doesn't go with the dialogue deliberately because Cap casually destroys a snowball that is hurled at them by some neighbourhood kids. That's some brave kids. Yeah. Throwing a snowball at Captain America. I also doubt that they'd get this close to Avengers Mansion nowadays. Surely there's security all around. As it is at the minute, these kids are almost climbing over the wall. They can get over the wall and inside the mansion. Yeah, and inside to the mansion. So I don't think that would happen anymore. Mm. Security wouldn't let them. There would have been risk assessments and all of that would have been filled in and kids would not be allowed anywhere near the mansion. I did like as well how each scene bleeds into each other, which we mentioned when we did JLA Avengers. Mm. So Iron Man's watching Captain America and Ms. Marvel outside and pulls inside to them and all that stuff. Perez was quite good at that kind of thing, wasn't he? Uh, Tony Stark's problems basically consist of um, wondering whether he should buy a Maserati because he's not bought a new car in weeks. Hashtag first world problems. Oh, I knew you getting Twitter was a bad thing. <laughs> I, I, I like that he drinks Coke as well. Yes. Well, is this post him drinking? Yeah, because yeah, it will be, won't alcohol it? Alcohol yeah. problems. It will be his alcohol problem. So he has a Coke. Well, he has a Dr. Pepper. Ah. He doesn't have a Coke. He has a Dr. something. Maybe it's not Dr. Pepper in the uh, in the Marvel Universe. Dr. Salt. Dr. Salt. Yes. <laughs> Dr. Assault. Uh, the Vision. Ladies and gentlemen, data before data. Although Quest or predated data as well. There's a scene in the middle with the Vision and Jocasta. And uh, it kind of makes the Vision out to be a little bit insane. <laughs> yeah. Do you not think? Because he's, he's protesting really, really hard that he's not human. And it's, these kind of stories are always quite thought-provoking. Is the Vision merely a machine, a toaster, as they would say in Battlestar Galactica? Or does he have feelings and emotions? Mm. After all... I talk to my phone. Yeah. My phone talks back to me. These are all things that not ten years ago would have been considered science fiction. Mm -hmm. But I have no problem changing that phone in for an upgrade. So is my phone sentient because it speaks to me? No. Really? Yeah. Okay. Can it learn? Yeah. Well, there you go. It does learn because that's how it's giving you the information. But it's not... I'd say that's not sentience, it's algorithm. So what makes the vision different? He's... Could we swap the vision for uh, Vision 2.0? Yeah. When when the new version of the vision comes out, and Apple charged too much money for it? You could, but he's a humanoid... He's a cyborg? No, he's an android. No, he's an android. Yeah, an android. So there's nothing remotely human about him, he's data. But he's humanoid. So? So he's data, still a robot. Yeah, but... More human than human. What, what gives him a soul? Does he have one? He keeps. He's the one who keeps saying, I'm not human. I know. Poetry is a human folly. So, there's a lot of... I, did, I, didn't, you know. I didn't think it was kind of handled like that, though. Did you not? No, I thought, I'm getting that... Is he acting out to show that he wants to be a robot, or is he acting out in anger because he is not a human like the rest of the Avengers? Well, see, my interpretation of it, following on from even an android can cry, is that he is, he is experiencing some form of human emotion and he's desperately trying to be, no, I'm not. 
Yeah. So it's kind of like the inverse of Data, who wanted to be human. Because he is very anti-human. Yeah. So it was interesting seeing that. I quite enjoyed it. The Wasp must have a ton of spare time, given she's designed another impractical outfit. Where is the logic in having one leg and one arm be completely exposed when not two, three, four pages ago she was complaining about being cold? Oh, it gets funnier in the next issue where she's wearing that and complains she's cold. Yeah, it's like surely a cold weather outfit would have been a smarter option. Yeah, fashion week. <laughs> and especially seeing as that outfit as well, the boots don't really go with it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a fashion designer. We should get got one in here, but, you know. Uh, the Avengers broadcast all their emergencies on Channel D. Just like the man from Uncle. Okay. I thought that was a nice touch. Nobody else probably got it. Um... Wonder Man's TV show's funny. He's on the Uncle Elmer show. Was that based on any particular show? I don't know. I, I like Godzilla Eats the Disco, though. <laughs> Where's Godzilla Eats the Disco? It's the film that the Beast wanted to watch. Oh, right, yeah, so it is. I want to watch Godzilla Eats the Disco. Is that a real film? No, it's not, actually. Should it be a real film? Could be. Godzilla versus Nile Rogers. <laughs> um... I do like that the Beast is cracking himself up watching Wonder Man's TV show. Yeah. <laughs> it's a job. And I, I like the look know? of the fear and panic on Wonder Man's face in the TV show. What, is he just about to get a yeah. custard pie in the face? You know, it's a gig, isn't it? It's an acting gig. He'll be like, what's his name? Big Cook, Little Cook. And then you'll see him on something later on where they swear and you'll be like, that's just not right. Yeah. It's like when you see Miles Jupp. Oh, God, yeah, on, yeah. What did he used to be on? Balamora? Yeah, he was on Balamora. Yeah. Was it Balamora? Now you see him on, on Now Have I Got News For You, and you're like, he can't swear. Yeah, no, he's, that... He's Balamori, man. That was a bit weird. It was a little bit strange, wasn't it? The scene with Selby's fun, because um, it really does play very differently mm. to how it would play nowadays. Where Ms. Marvel just casually dismisses him as a mental case. yeah. Very, very hard to see that that would, that would fly today, wouldn't it? And the Wasp is just defending him because she trusts him innately for some reason. But even Iron Man's like, I think he's a little bit mad. Yeah. Which was, I thought this was quite funny. I do have a question for you, though. Selby took a cab to Avengers Mansion, but he's still in his gown and slippers. How did he pay for the cab? He stole some money. I'd... Did the cab driver... Ask Jarvis to pay for it? Maybe. Because presumably Jarvis was the one who let him in. Yeah. So maybe he said, Jarvis, oi, pay the cabbie. Maybe there was some money or change in the big coat or cardigan or whatever it was he was wearing. Um, well, he's, he's still got a gown on from the, the mental institution. But he's wearing a coat over at the beginning. He is, so do you think there's just happened to be some money in the, the pocket of that coat that he managed to nick? Could be. Alright, All right, it's as good a no-prize no explanation as uh, as any, I suppose. There is something delightful about the Avengers just handing Selby over and then the issue ends. Because Captain America's absolutely right. They can't do anything about this. Hmm. If you look at it from their point of view, these guys give them nothing real to go on. The Wasp tr trusts him sight unseen because of a hunch. Ms. Marvel is right to call her out on it. Yeah. They've got nothing to go on. Of course, she will turn out to be correct, otherwise we've no story. And also, she seems to possess that same woman's intuition superpower that Sue Richards has. <laughs> yeah. 
Woman's intuition is not a superpower, Stanley. <laughs> Just think that that's worth mentioning. A good enjoyable issue. You know, nothing happens, but at least nothing happens entertainingly. Mm. I thought that was quite interesting. What did you think of that one? I quite liked it. And it's a nice setup for the next issue as well, isn't it? Yeah. Which is Avengers 195, the cover to which is a lot more Perez-like. The wasp is tied to a bench with a plastic bubble over her head. Whatever turns you on, I suppose. Uh, Yellow Jacket is firing pulse blasts at various gunmen, and Ant-Man summons an avalanche of ants to attack, yelling, Ants attack! Or else the wasp becomes a mindless slave! Ants attack! is one of the silliest things I've seen on a cover in ages, and that's why it's brilliant. I, I, I like it. I love it. I think it's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> do you not get covers like that anymore, do you? No. It's just a shame, really. It's inked by Dan Green. The interiors are inked by Dan Green and Jack Abel. If it was a deadline pressure going on, I don't know. What do you think of that cover? Uh, it's, it's good. All right. I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of ants. Well, nobody is. Yeah. I mean, when they always used to say, ooh, spiders are icky. I prefer spiders to ants. I guess. I think. Well, that's just me. Assault on a mind cage. The Avengers approach the Solomon Institute in pursuit of the Wasp. Yellow Jacket and Ant-Man have joined the team and they do the reconnoiter, learning that the Institute is, in fact, a training ground for thugs for hire. They also locate the Wasp, but the rescue of her is hampered by hidden cameras that reveal her location to Solomon's men. Solomon himself takes a hand and the Wasp is stunned to see he looks just like Selby, only a few decades older. Turns out Selby is an accelerated clone of Solomon, Solomon has a rare blood condition and a weak heart. A clone was the only way to ensure his survival. He captures the Wasp, Yellow Jacket and Ant-Man and in true villainous style explains his plot to them. Fortunately, these three Avengers aren't numpties and break free, but Solomon is more concerned that the real owner of the Solomon Institute is due to arrive. As the Wasp locates Selbit, Yellow Jacket and Ant-Man are attacked by the real brains behind the training centre, the Taskmaster. Who's a great villain. Mm. I really do like the Taskmaster. The splash page of the Avengers closing in on the Solomon Institute looks very familiar. It's the Avengers outside what looks like the Adams Family House uh, closing in in the snow. And it, I don't know, it reminds me very much of a Teen Titans thing, but I'm, I can't remember which one. It may have been 30... Was it 38? 37? When Robin quit that we covered not long ago? They were in the snow at the beginning of that one, weren't yeah. they? I wonder if it's reminding me of that a little bit. It may be. Uh, I don't remember. I don't think there are many active bases that look like a mental hospital. No, but I meant the, just the, the composition yeah. and, and stuff like that. Reminds me very much of that, uh, that Teen Titans. They pulled Yellow Jacket in in between issues. Yeah. So on the way over to the Solomon Institute, they just give Yellow Jacket a call and say, Hey, you want to come down? Maybe fun. Come down to the coast, have a few laughs. Yeah. Maybe alright. That's, yeah. well, that's why he joins them, because yeah. he, he thinks it's going to be a few lines. Yeah, that seems fair enough to me. Um, this would make people's head explode nowadays. Yeah. They'd want to see exactly when he picks him <laughs> up, and exactly when he joined the team, whereas here it was just, just join and get a taxi, we're going over here, be fun. He's mm-hmm. like, okay, I'll bring the wasp as well. Back, back when being an Avenger was fun. Yeah, not the wasp, Ant-Man. Yes. Yeah, back when being an Avenger was a good laugh. Mm-hmm. Uh, like cases like this. Not terribly serious. <laughs> no world beating going on here. Uh, I did have a question. If Yellow Jacket is only just now being told what's going on, which he is, yeah. because why would Captain America feel the need to explain this to him twice, why then did he call Ant-Man? Uh, He's already called Ant-Man before this issue opens. Yeah. 
But it's only afterwards he says, yeah, I figured Ant-Man may be useful on this particular case. But he didn't know what the case was before the issue opened. Maybe Cap just said, you know, told Yellow Jacket if he wants to tag along on a case. And Yellow Jacket said... I'll bring in Ant-Man! Yeah, Ant-Man, do you want to tag along on a case? I'll bring in Ant-Man because you can never get enough Ant-Man. Yeah, Yeah. or Deckman. Or Deckman, indeed, yeah. Alright, I did think it was really odd that Ant-Man had to explain his pop culture references to the movies. Yeah. Michelini was really ahead of his time here, wasn't he? Because everybody does this nowadays. They're like, when, when he says, Oh, uh, Scott, why do you reference so many movies? <laughs> yeah, it was a bit stiff, that yeah. one. Yeah. A little bit stilted. Especially then he explains, Yeah, I just like films. Yeah. I do this all the time. I just don't bother telling people I'm referencing movies. Yeah. And if they get it, they get it. And nine times out of ten, they don't. I quote Superman the movie all day at work. Nobody ever gets it. We, Nobody we ever know. gets that I'm doing it. Jo- oh, Lord, Josie Wales is a good one as well. Whoop to again. It's <laughs> always a good one too. But nobody ever ever seems to get it. Other than me. But it amuses me. And that's and whatever, all that Yeah, whatever can keep you amused at work <laughs> is, uh, gets a thumbs up from me. Um... The Solomon Institute isn't really recruiting the best and the brightest. One of the doctors refers to somebody not being suitable as he has an almost normal IQ. Which makes sense. You don't want people who are going to threaten Dr. Octopus with brains, do you? When they're working for him. I guess not. Because it kind of makes sense that commoner garden thugs that hang around with Doc Ock would have to be trained. Yeah. Because they're living in a world where they have to tackle Spider-Man. So mm. it is best if they've had some training. They don't want too trained, because then they wouldn't be cannon fodder. Exactly, man. So that's what he's saying when he says he doesn't really want people that uh, have a, a normal IQ. Yeah. He wants people that are a bit useless. So, brawl, not brains. Commando. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, listen, Milano's in that film. Only about ten, though. So, mm. you know. Must have been before Who's the Boss. Um, This is good. It's a good follow-up to last issue. Some excellent moments, some great artwork. As the remit of the show would suggest, just good comics, this is exactly that, isn't it? It's nothing Mm earth-shaking or momentous, but therein lies its greatness. It's a great read. Or I thought it was, pure and simple. What did you think? I actually really enjoyed it. It's good, isn't it? It was a nice little infiltration issue where the rest of the Avengers the heavy hitters don't do anything but lounge around and drink hot yeah, chocolate they just hang around don't they my problem with it though is the art what's up with the art um, I don't know if it's the inking or what but a lot of it doesn't look like Perez yeah well that's something we'll come on to in the next issue as well oh, I yeah. think you're responding the to Jack Abel inking George Perez rather than Dan Green see the splash page is gorgeous yeah. but yeah as we go along it stops looking like Perez's work so J- Joseph Rubenstein obviously didn't ink these. Yeah, it does get worse in the next yeah, issue. Yeah, in the next issue. Because the next issue, 196, is all, Dan, uh, all Jack Abel. And, you know, he's a competent inker mm. in his own right, but he doesn't really compliment George Perez's pencils. And there's something that would plague Perez throughout the 1970s. When he was partnered with an inker who really enhanced his work, he was second to nobody, especially when he inked himself, yeah. as he would start to do on the new Team Titans. But when he was paired with an inker who, who overpowered him, his delicate line was lost, which happened a lot with McFarlane as well, Yeah, before McFarlane started inking himself. Only rarely happened with John Byrne, but, you know, very odd. Number 196 also increased in price. 
Issue 195 was 12 pence, because it's a Marvel all-colour comic. Right. But this one is 15p. Well, that's just not on, is it? <laughs> that means you couldn't get your comic uh, or your can of Coke. No. Especially when it went up to 30p. <laughs> got it then. Um, it's got quite a basic cover as well, hasn't it, 196? Yeah. It's completely lacking in a background. But he's got a little little floor thing. But he stood on like a yeah, he stood like a grid, a rug, a rug carpet. Or, yeah, he's got a nice little rug, yeah. little rug carpet in the middle of his room that he likes standing on. And the, <laughs> the standing mat. Yeah, is that what it's called? Or he's designed for an action figure, and it's got a little base. Yes, he stands on the base for his action figure. Yeah. I like that. That's the Taskmaster's merchandising. <laughs> yeah. He's you know he's got it going on up here as the Taskmaster. Um, yeah, the cover. It's our new villain, the Taskmaster. Uh, his costume's a bit busy, to be honest. He wears orange, black, and white, and a hood, buccaneer boots, gloves, a cape, and he's got a ton of straps and thigh belts. He's very ahead of his time in that he's very nineties. So I can only assume <laughs> Liffield and Co. looked at this. And just fell in love with it. Yeah. And thought, that's what we want everybody to look like. He kind of reminds me of a mix between uh, the Jack-O-Lantern, mm. Deathstroke, and Skeletor. He reminds me very much of Deathstroke. Yeah. It was also designed by George Perez. So, coincidence? Mm. I think not. Skeletor's sidekick, Taskmaster. <laughs> yes. He would make a good sidekick for Skeletor. The terrible toll of the Taskmaster picks up a few moments after last issue. Ant-Man, Yellowjacket and the Wasp are tied in a bizarre contraption that will cut their hands and feet off if they shrink. The Taskmaster monologues a bit and then demonstrates his abilities by offering his henchmen ten grand if they can beat him. Of course they can't as he has all the powers of everybody he's ever seen thanks to something called photographic reflexes. The three captured Avengers are suitably impressed and more than a little worried. Taskmaster then turns to Dr. Solomon and invites him to pick up a gun in a fur fight. Pick up the gun. Solomon, fretting and panicked, suffers a major heart attack. Outside, Iron Man ponders how the team have gelled when his faceplate suddenly fills with ants. After a little bit of a freak out, he realises this is simply a message from Ant-Man and the Avengers bust into the Institute. As they fight the henchmen, Solomon's clone frees Ant-Man, Yellowjacket and the Wasp, but as Taskmaster has studied them all, none of the Avengers can gain the upper hand. One member, though, Joe Caster, is new and unable to combat this new member. Taskmaster loses the play. However, he makes his escape thanks to a convenient magnesium floor. And he gets away with, I'll get you next time, gadget. Doesn't he? Uh, the Taskmaster's a great villain. Like we said, he looks an awful lot like Deathstroke, the Terminator. And a little bit like the Super Skrull, in that he has the powers of all of his major adversaries. But I liked him. Yeah. I liked him quite a lot. I liked that he was smart enough to remove the masks of Yellow Jacket and Ant-Man. Because it always bugged me when villains didn't do that. <laughs> Just leave the masks on. And we never see his face, mm. even in the flashbacks to him as a kid. Did they do... I remember at one point when he showed up in Deadpool, I can't remember if this was right, but hmm. he was actually a skeleton head. That's Deadpool, though, isn't it? Joe Kelly Deadpool. Yeah. So. so he may have been, I don't know. Because, uh, like you said, we don't even see his face when we get the flashbacks. And I like that, even smarter than any of that, he realises that the money is to be made by teaching villains to be villains. Yeah. Although I can attest there's no actual money in teaching. So this must pay a lot better mm. than being a teacher. I wonder if he has to be off <laughs> That 
would be really that would be a funny issue. Uh, yeah, yeah. Where the taskmaster's school for criminals had to be offsetted. <laughs> Would he get like a really bad grade for um, for illegalities and killing people? Yeah, yeah, I would imagine they would frown upon or, that. Or do Ofsted kind of change their viewpoints depending on what kind of school it is? Yeah. <laughs> now, and the fact that they actually want to walk out alive. Yeah, yeah. Now, Taskmaster, you, you didn't start off with a starter at the beginning. Was your lesson plan? Was <laughs> your scheme of work? Your aims and objectives aren't written on You've the board. You've not filled in any risk assessments for any of the physical activities. <laughs> Kids are on the phones. <laughs> You're shocked. <laughs> he just stabs the Ofsted inspector, and a nation of people applauded. Practical trips don't have any paperwork filled out. <laughs> Even taking you to the park now needs a risk assessment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite sad, really. Uh, like Michael said, though, it's it's the art that that hurts the climax of the issue, isn't it? Mm. There are flashes of Perez in the layouts and the poses. But there's just something off about the final uh, the final product, isn't there? Mm. Yeah, I don't know whether Jack Abel was uh, was best suited to the work of uh, of Mr. Perez. All told, it's a rather quick wrap up to the story. More could have been made of the Taskmaster because he's cool, but the nature of the game is he needs to get away to play another day. Also. His character, as established in this issue, makes it unlikely he would stick around for a fight. Because yeah. there's no profit in it. He's very much like Arcade like that, isn't he? Only smarter than Arcade. Yeah. In many ways. The Avengers don't really play a big part in this. They, they literally sit around drinking hot chocolate. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, but Michelini still manages to squeeze him some nice relationship, relationship stuff. Sorry, Three good, solid issues. Nothing wrong with them yeah. in any way. But there was a letter from Kurt Busiek. Alright. Which I thought was quite cool. What did you think of that one? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed all of them. Let's see the thing with it. They were all exactly what we set out to do with this. They were just good comics. Yeah. So there was nothing earth-shattering about any of them. But they were all really fun to read. Mm. But it doesn't really leave us with a great deal to talk about. In many ways. Uh, a lot of good adverts, though. Uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture and Black Hole action figures. I presume that they're Mego action figures. Although I don't remember them doing Star Trek The Motion Picture Mego dolls. I don't remember that at all. King Conan number one, so Conan gets another book. Spider-Man the Hulk smashed through a wall, advertising subscriptions. The Human Tort in A Hot Time in the Old Town is the Hostess Pinky's advert in issue 194. Spider-Man meets up with the thing on TV. Yeah, oh yeah, Spider-Woman had um, a cartoon series for a while, didn't she? Yes. Issue 195's adverts. I don't think they're as interested in this one as they were in 94. I always like looking at that. More black hole. I think they thought that the black hole was going to be a bigger success than it actually was. Yeah. Which is a shame because I like the black hole. I thought it was quite good. I thought we watched it last Christmas. Yeah. Christmas before. I know I was watching it and you came in and ended up watching it at the end of it with me. Yeah. I liked it. I like the black hole a great deal. I think it's a fun film. And the scurry-ass robot. And the scurry-ass robot. Maximilian. Yeah. Yeah, he's a bit scurry, isn't he? 196 has O.J. Simpson advertising football boots. Show them your heels when you curb stomp your wife. Oh! He was found not guilty. <laughs> I can only assume any day now yeah. they will find the real guilty party. <laughs> I'm pretty certain that that will happen. Uh, but Rogers gets Mego doll action figures, as does Lord of the Rings. I had a Butt Rogers Mego, yeah. and I had Tweaky. 
That's tweaky. Why, why does the old Gollum not only look cooler than the Gollum they went with in the films, but look a lot like what Yoda originally looked like? It's just just a coincidence. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lucasfilm's liars. <laughs> oh, right. It's a total coincidence. Lucasfilm does not want to suit J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, there's another hostess fruit pies advert, Spider-Man in the Trap. That looks like it's out by Sal Buscema. They're not great, as uh, these frequently weren't. And O.J. Simpson again? Blimey, he's all over these boots, isn't he? Advertising boots. Was there, was what happened to him the equivalent of David Beckham had, had been caught murdering Victoria? Final page. Uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture Model Kit from AMT, which I had. I had that one. Did you have that one? Well, me and Grandad bought it second hand and it was badly glued together, so we had to break it apart and build it back up. Oh, right, yeah, you had the original, that's the movie. Oh, right. I had the movie one and I broke it. Did you? It was very sad. The source section came completely off. Like in Star Trek 3. So that was quite apt. Did, like didn't, you, didn't you bury it in the Yeah. When it, when it blew up. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that was my pick for this week. For, for our Just Good Comics. What are yours, Michael? Well, um... Funny you should ask. Yeah. This week's choice for me comes in the form of a gift. Oh, lovely. A gift uh, that was I received, not a gift for you. Oh, all right. But surely my synopsis reading is gift enough. It's gift enough, yes. Yes. Well, last week, uh, if you remember, Mikey Mike B sent us a box full of cool comics. And this was one of them. It was. Secret Origins, issue 50. Secret Origins originally started as a one-shot released in 1961 and only contained reprinted material but became an ongoing reprint series in February of 1973. It ran for seven issues before finishing in October 1974. Its most well-known incarnation was a 50-issue series that ran from April 1986 to August 1990 and my pick comes from that series and was the very last issue in the run. The story, however, that we're looking at in particular is The Flash of Two Worlds by Grant Morrison <laughs> and Mike Parabek, Romeo Tankal, Amber de Guzman, Tom Ziuko, and was edited by Michael Yuri and Mark Wade. Yay! Uh, wasn't this issue a retelling, a post-crisis retelling of The Flash of Two Worlds? It was kind of, yeah. Because didn't Secret Origins have to retcon some of its previous issues because of the crisis. I think so. Yeah. I don't know, though, because I never really read a lot of Secret Origins. I like the Marshall Rogers, Roy Thomas, Batman, Earth One, Batman origin. Yeah. That was one of my favourites. I like that a great deal. The only Secret Origins stuff I've ever read is the Neil Gaiman ones. You know, I can't remember the last time I read Flash on Two Worlds, so I think it is. It does seem vaguely familiar. Hmm. Anyway, because it does do, the opening six pages of this are Dick Grayson's origin again by um, Denny O'Neill and George Perez. Yeah. George Perez being mentioned again. But it's a text prose story. Mm. Got some nice artwork by Perez. Nice compliment to the Dick Grayson origins we did a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, the story goes thusly. Uh, Barry Allen is entertaining children at a magic show as The Flash, replacing the magician. As he performs, he vibrates to a certain frequency and hears music. After the show, he vibrates to that frequency again and sees a city on the other side of the river, Keystone City, a city that has been gone for years and existed only as a faded memory in the back of the minds of Central City's inhabitants. Barry, running through Keystone, concludes that the person making the music has found the exact frequency to shift the city out of phase of reality. 
Noticing that Keystone's in absence of sleepwalking, Barry decides that there's only one person who can help and finds Jay Garrick asleep with his wife on the couch. Barry wakes Jay up, who doesn't know how long he's been asleep, but decides it's time to sort things out. The two find a trio destroying Keystone, Shade, the Thinker, and the Fiddler. <laughs> the Kitty Fiddler. Allegedly. <laughs> Who is the one playing the music that has shifted the city's vibrations? The kitty fiddle <laughs> played by uh, Ralph Harris. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Panicking over the Flash's return and the appearance of a second younger Flash, the trio try to escape, but their plans are foiled thanks to the two Flash's fists. After destroying the fiddler's giant fiddle machine... <laughs> The city phases back into reality, and the bridge in between finally connects the two cities once again. It was good, this. Mm. I like this. I didn't laugh as much at the kid fiddle while I was reading it. Did, did you not? No, no, no. I was just uh, I was enjoying the story. I like the opening. Yeah. It starts once upon a time, and then begins very much like a furry tale thing. The story, the story behind it is quite creepy. Mm. The city's just vanished, and there's a bridge that leads to nowhere. Yeah, nobody remembers... Yeah. What used to be there, even if something did used to be there. Mm. And you're left with all these kids that are orphaned because their parents were on the other side of the bridge. Yeah. And it's maybe they were at work, I don't know. Yeah, it really is quite a creepy premise. I like that the Flash is really joyful all the way through. Mike Parabek's art isn't best serviced by Romeo Tanghal. Mm. There are flashes of greatness in it, but he is better suited by an Inca in the animated style celebrating the 50th anniversary of The Flash on this, the 75th anniversary of The Flash. Ah. So we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of this story. Yeah. We planned it. <laughs> we totally did. Totes. Yeah, absolutely did. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird one in that if you think about it quite a lot, it is quite a bit of a creepy story. Yeah. But it's told very much in that wide-eyed, innocent, silver age way. It's a, yeah, it's a very golden age story mm. in that everything is solved with fists, <laughs> which is always good. Yeah, in a story. Yeah. It's always great. I do like that all the way through it, we don't know who this kid is. And we're yeah. kind of being led to believe it's Wally West. Mm. Or I think that's where it was going. It would have made sense to have the three flashes. Yeah, to have it with the three flashes. And I like that it's drawn in his notebook so around the edges you can actually see the perforated holes where it goes into the, the ring yeah. binder and every now and again the drawings will be a kid's drawing yeah. of Flash which is quite sweet mm. I thought that was really nice and uh, his his opinion of the Flash changes yeah throughout the story because mm. originally he's like I only got his autograph because I thought I could sell it yeah. or trade it when you know he's you know he's just acting tough yeah, I quite like the bad guys in this. I love the bad guys in this. I think the bad guys in this are brilliant. The giant fiddle car. Yeah. He's brilliant. The fiddler with his um, fiddle, the, obviously. The, the fiddle-mobile. <laughs> the, the nonce-mobile. Yes, yes. yes. I love the villains in it. Especially, again, the kiddie version yeah. of them down at the bottom. I, I love the, the, the drawing of the fiddler that he's done. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. It is actually really good. That's where Parabek shines, though. Yeah. Those bits are really good. Where he's, I wonder if we've got like, a kid's to draw him for him. Because <laughs> they really are really, really brilliant. And I love the, the rivalry between the two of them. Mm. I propose an hour or two of undiluted carnage. Wish I'd thought of that. <laughs> the thinker. The fiddler. Who's the other guy? Shade. Yeah. I don't know much about him. Isn't he the guy you can like turn into a shadow? Is he? I don't know. I'll tell you a word for it. 
They only knew about the fiddler because he's dead in Blackest Night. Oh, is he? Yeah. Yes, he is, isn't he? I remember him from being in Blackest Night now. And then two flashes show up. And we have the Gerda scene. And we have the Gerda scene, yeah, from Flash of Two Worlds. And then it's just non-stop superheroics for the rest of yeah, it. Yeah, I like the Flash. Jay Garrick punches the Fiddler. Mm. Uh, what was it, a, a second into the future? Into the future, where yeah. the Barry punches him. Yeah, he punched the Fiddler, and the Fiddler flew so fast he broke the time barrier. He appeared one minute into the future where the new Flash was waiting to punch him out. Yeah. <laughs> that is quite funny. Just a little glimpse of Morrison-esque. Yeah, in, in what's really a rather straightforward and simple tale. Yeah. And then they destroyed the giant violin through vibrations. But it's a fiddle, not Well, a it, it says the, the giant violin. Oh, does it? Yeah. So, right. it's a violin, dude. It's quite clearly a violin. Okay. And by destroying that, they managed to bring back... Is Keystone City? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and nobody remembers why it disappeared or whatever. And the ending's quite sweet and happy. Hmm. Uh, but the bit of that, I like the what's it there's a bit in it I really like that I think we've passed let me see if I can find it where he's talking about the kid from school yeah oh yeah uh, the Flash had a good idea he ran to see if he could find the old Flash I don't know how he found him out of all the people in the city Joe Garrett said he couldn't have found him and I just made that up that's why I kicked the crap out of Joe Garrett <laughs> <laughs> And then he follows that up later to it. I think the Flash could easily find the other Flash because they both have an aura, which is the same. He found him anyway, so Joe Garrett doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not letting this Joe Garrett thing go, is yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. Which is beautifully childlike <laughs> in many ways. I really did like that. I thought it was really good. And then um, at the end, he's obviously a big booster for the Flash. And it turns out that it's Garfield Logan. Yes. And not Wally West. As we were led to believe. So that's what I did on my vacation. I went to Central City and I met the Flash and I decided I was going to become a superhero and become famous. Which, of course, he did. Yeah. It's part of the new Teen Titans. It was a good story, that. It was. Nice little short one. I was going to read some more of these as we went through because that looks like... uh, That was totally what's-his-name, wasn't it? Oh, the Reaper. All right. That's totally the Reaper in uh, the story later on. Uh, I read the first story in this as well which was the Dick Grayson one. And Alan Brennett wrote a Black Canary one, so I'll probably read that later on, because I like Alan Brennett's stuff. But it was good, that. Mm. I very much enjoyed it. There's no adverts in it, is there? No. Big letters page, then. Maybe it being the last one. Mm. Well, they brought That's Secret the Origins back. Yeah. They have brought Secret Origins back, haven't mm-hmm. they? It's currently ongoing. Is it an ongoing series? Yeah. Right, OK. What are they doing with it now? Well, technically, they'd all be Secret Origins in a New 52, wouldn't I they? guess. It's three heroes every issue. It's not the New 52 anymore, is it? Isn't it now going to be the old 24 or something? The New 49. Is that what it's called, the 49? The, the drop in the New 52 thing. After four covers. years. It's because 52 yeah. books haven't sold. Well, no, it's because it's going down to 49, so they can't say it's the New 52 because there's 49 of them. Right, so they're dropping a few books. Mm, very good, very nice. Okay, well, that's it then. We're rather low-key today, because mm-hmm. they were just good comics, which is the point of the show. Yeah. In many ways. What have we got next time on an all-new episode? Uh, next time we're doing Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Yes. Versus we might be doing something quite interesting with that, actually. Why? If you remember a while back, I told you about the Acast yeah. app. Yeah. which allows you to listen to podcasts and because it's a audio medium yeah. it pops up pictures right. so when they're talking about something there'll, there'll be a picture popping up 
of what they're talking about. So you're going to try and do that? I might try to do something with that, yeah. So if you're listening to it and you can make pictures pop up yeah. on your iDevice of choice, Michael managed to figure it out. Yeah. If it doesn't, then he didn't. And he just edited the show because he had to get it out on time. So that's next time. Bit mm-hmm. of Scott Pilgrim. All right, then. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll see you next week. It was quite low-key, that. It was. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Hey Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to do production. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only. And no infringement is intended, so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us as we have no money. Certainly this show was not turned into a lucrative revenue stream as no money is made from this either, which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them and look after them, but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com and Hey Kids Comics is a part of the Two True Freaks internet radio network and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name, and Comics as the surname. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.